All right. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. Let, let me just say, um, in the next service, uh, we're going to have a baptismal service in the next service. And what we've done is we've tried to put it at the very beginning of the 11 o'clock service. And so let me tell you how that's going to shake out. If you want to be a part of that baptismal service, uh, you'd like to stay over for that, uh, we'll, we'll, we're going to show a short video and then go right into it. There won't be any music before the baptism because we wanted those of you who are in this service, if you want to be a part of that part of that service, we, we definitely want to welcome you into that. If you choose to want to be a part of that, we ask you to just kind of um, maybe uh, sit in the seats in the back or go and stand across the back because the next service, uh, sometimes it does kind of fill the room. And so, but we would love uh, for you to be a part of that. Uh, last count we had, if everybody shows up, we could baptize as many as 22 people this morning. And so we want to praise the Lord for that. And uh, all ages, uh, from children to adults, and uh, if they all are able to make it with us this morning, that, that'll be what that'll look like. So if you'd like to be a part of that, I'm sure your connection leaders, sorry to put you guys on the spot, wouldn't mind if you wanted to stay over for just a little bit and then go immediately to your class. Or, of course, I know some of you go home after that. All right, 1 Peter chapter 2. I want you to look at verse 4. I want to look at the first three words of verse 4. It says, coming to him. Now, the phrase coming to him, him being Christ, is literally an invitation. When we, come to, when we come to him, as a result of coming to him, we find out who we truly are. Now, in Scripture, terminology is everything. Many times, how something is written decides whether it is good doctrine or false doctrine. And so when you look at the phrase, coming to him, it literally implies that there's an invitation to do so. It, it doesn't say that we merely just go to him. There's an invitation that's applied there. And of course, we know before we come to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit is the one extending the invitation to come to him. And so you look at the terminology here, and it says coming to him. Now, why is it important that we come to him? First of all, we come to him for salvation. But second of all, when we come to him, we truly learn who we truly are. How many of you noticed that? When you came to know Jesus Christ, there are certain things about you that you never knew were there. Now, let me take care of the stepfather. There's also things about you that you probably have no idea that are there unless you read God's word. And so this morning, what I want us to look at, and, and Peter is going to share this with us, is this whole idea of who we really are in Christ. What are the privileges that come with knowing Christ? So, so the phrase, look here at verse 4 again. Coming to him as to a living stone. Now, the phrase a living stone, now think about who wrote this epistle. His name was Peter. Do you remember his first encounter with Jesus? Look at the verse here on the screen. And he, being Andrew, brought him, which will be Peter, to Jesus. Now, when Jesus looked at him, that being Peter, he said, you are Simon, the son of Jonah, but now you shall be called Cephas. Cephas is the Aramaic uh, word for Peter, which is Peter's in the Greek. He says, and you shall be called Peter, which is translated a stone. Now think about that. The first encounter Peter has with Jesus, of course, he's called Simon. Jesus literally transforms his life. Now he's calling him Cephas, 
which means a, a pebble or stone. And, and then if you care to step further, if you look at the Greek, it literally means Peter. So here's what we know about that encounter. Jesus knew Peter and saw his potential and then revealed it to him. He went from being what many would say a little pebble to a stone. Now, what's interesting about all that is that Jesus is not just saying something. He's not just out there saying, okay, you're, here's your nickname. Your nickname is Rock or Stone. What he was speaking there was potential that he saw in Peter. He knew that if Peter would follow him, that's what he would literally become is the stone, that, that rock. So Peter's encounter with Jesus reveal or will reveal who he truly will be and the privileges that would be his if he continued to follow Christ. Now look at the introduction. When we place our faith in Jesus Christ, there are certain privileges that come with our new reality. Certain privileges. And Peter tells us these in these verses. These privileges include, look on your outline, number one, that we're chosen. We're chosen. Now, a study of the privileges we have in Christ. Now, let, here's what you need to understand. By studying these privileges, it again reveals more of who we are in Christ. It reveals more of who we are in this new reality that we have in following Christ. So look at verse uh, four again. It says, coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God. Now, in verse 4, is, is, is totally centers around the person of Jesus Christ. It's talking about him being the living stone, but then it says the stone that was rejected. The stone that was rejected by men, but what? Chosen by God. So the phrase living stone here, let me just say this, is not just a reference to Jesus, but also those who follow him. How do we know this? By looking at verse 5. It says in verse 5, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house. So when you look at verse 4, all that talk about verse 4, about how it's surrounding Jesus, that is true. But he carries a step further in verse 5. He says, those who follow Christ, you're also living stones of God. And so we see the practicality of it. So that implies that everything being said in verse 4 can be said of us. And guess what? It's in verse 4, it says that he was chosen, and that whole idea, we're also chosen. Now, now, when it comes to this idea of being chosen, that terminology gives a lot of people trouble in Scripture. But, but let me tell you this. Did you know that there is a doctrine of election in Scripture? There, there really is. The fact that we were chosen before the foundations of the world, there's a whole lot of scripture that talks about that. Now, what does that truly mean? Now, of course, we looked at the door illustration here several weeks ago and how really when it says that we are chosen by God and then it says, for whosoever comes shall be saved, you've got two different perspectives of the exact same thing. Our salvation centers around that. And so but it's just like, well, we had the door here. On this side, you look up and the scripture says, whosoever will, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then you step through that portal of salvation. You receive all that Christ has for you. You come on the other side and you realize, hey, he, he was drawing me to him the whole time. There was an invitation to come to him. And we learned that from scripture. And, and so there's two perspectives that seem to be there. So not only was Christ chosen, we have been chosen. Now, I don't know about you. But, but when I look at my life and I see this, one of the privileges, the fact we've been chosen by God, that brings great comfort to me. 
That does. And, and that's what should bring comfort to us. It's one of the privileges that we have. Another privilege of being in Christ is that we are valued. We're valued. How, how many of you hear, hear people sometimes say, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Does that correctly descri- describe you? It, it really does. But let me tell you the flip side of it. You were chosen by God. You are declared valuable before God. But yet you're still a sinner saved by grace. And so when you look at all these different things, look at verse, uh, 20, uh, verse 4 again. Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. Verse 5 tells us everything that's said in verse 4 as it pertains to Christ can be said of us. And the fact that we're precious also. Precious literally means something that is highly valued. It even carries the implication that it's even rare. So God the Father, listen, as it pertains to Jesus, measured Jesus by the divine standards of perfection and came to the conclusion, and he said this two times in Scripture, God the Father speaking of Jesus, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. There's value associated to what God the Father said about Jesus. The same thing is said of those who follow Christ. Listen to this. For God so loved the world that he what? That he gave his only begotten son. Now, I want you to try to get your mind around this. The most precious thing to God the Father was who? His son. His son. Greatly valued. Perfection. I mean, prized, possessed. I mean, everything you can get, anything good that you can say about the son, that's what the father said about his son. And yet, now think about this. Get your mind around this. Yet he gave that son on our behalf. Does that not just blow your mind? That something that was most precious to God was given on our behalf. Now, what does that imply? That we're precious that were highly valued by God. Think about it. God the Father gave something of extreme value to bring us to a relate, right relationship with him. John 3.16 goes on and says, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Coming to God on his terms by way of that precious gift, his son. He, let me just tell you this. This is why when, when, when people... Um, uh, uh, disregard God's word and, and say this or say that. It, it's just like someone who says, well, yeah, I'm in in heaven if, as long as my good outweighs the bad. Let me tell you, that is offensive to God. Uh, when that person says, well, I go to church, I'm there every time the door's open and, and, and uh, I can't imagine I can do anymore. That's an offense to God because he gave What? his most valued possession, his son, on our behalf, and we're saying we can have anything to do with that? We come to him through that value. Thirdly, another privilege of being in Christ is that we are connected. We are connected. Thousands of years ago, how many of you ever heard of the Incas of South America? You ever heard of them? Back in um, thousands of years ago, I'm talking about thousands of years ago, way back, of course, the Incas of South America, they were in northern Peru, Okay, And it was in northern Peru that they set up their capital uh, city. It was kind of in the mountainous areas. But soon they went a little further uh, north to, to, to live in the valleys. But one thing that uh, archaeologists discovered was the fact that the, the Incas built this, these magnificent walls that surrounded their city. Now, what was amazing to them, and by the way, keep this in mind, they were built before the pyramids were built. 
Okay? Keep that in mind. But what, here's what you need to understand. Some engineers speculate that the stones of varying, various shapes and sizes have been fit so closely that there is no chance of shifting nor falling down or falling apart. In fact, the stones were placed on a bedrock so fit so closely together that there is not even enough space between them to fit even a single sheet of paper. That, that's how tightly knit those stones are. And according to archaeologists and scientists, those, those walls are not going anywhere anytime soon. <laughs> they're solidly built. Not, because, not only because they're so closely associated, but they're on this bedrock. It's not going anywhere. Now, although the Incas have disappeared, there's still that that remains. Those walls that still marvel engineers. I believe this could be a picture of the spiritual house God is building with us, his living stones. Think about that. He wants us to become that spiritual house. Now, look at verse 5 once again. It says, you also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house. Now, in the Old Testament, one's relationship with God seemed to surround the events of the temple. How did man receive forgiveness of sin? By going to the temple. How did man many times worship God? Many, by going to the temple. There were special things that were needed there. That's the way the Old Testament described the relationship of a man between he and his God. Now, in the New Covenant, we are a part of God's building. Listen, we don't go there. Listen to this. We are, we are that. The Bible says that we are the temple of God. The Bible says that we don't have to go somewhere else. We don't have to go to a building. We don't have to go to a, a person to receive forgiveness of sins. All that's been written. The new covenant provide, provided so much more. And, and so what is, well, here's the implication. We don't go to something. We are that. Now, a commentary of this verse and these thoughts can be looked at by looking at Ephesians chapter 2. Let's look at, here on the, look at those, the verse here on the screen, or the verses. Now, therefore, you're no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Having been, been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Now, the cornerstone was not only a stone that was used, and we'll talk about this in just a moment, that determined the whole structure of, of what was being built, but it was also the bedrock. And you have that right there. That whole idea of the bedrock is found in Christ. And whom the whole building being fit together, it's like that Inca structure, those walls being closely fit together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom, listen, you are also being built together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. Think about it. Old Testament you went to the temple to see uh, the imagery of what now the new covenant offers us. We are the temple of God. Does that not just blow your mind? But that's the terminology being used here. We are placed in the body, in the structure of God. Christ was the foundation. The apostles and prophets came along. And guess what? We are building upon that also. 
And so when you think of that, we are connected to, his, to this work that was begun by the prophets and apostles who built on the finished work of Jesus Christ. Now, let me tell you what connection implies in these terms. It speaks of unity, and it also applies to working towards the same goals, to make Christ known, to bring glory to his name. Another privilege of being in Christ is that we are accepted. We're accepted. Look at chapter 2, verse 5. You also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, every bit of this is Old Testament language. Every bit of this speaks of the Old Covenant. But what Peter is trying to get you to understand, he's trying to show you the Old Covenant and its terminologies. And he's saying, hey, there's a, there's a better covenant. There's a new covenant that's found in Christ. And, and, and guess what? It all seems to rest within who we are. Now think of this. Before Jesus came, a priest was the mediator between God and man. The priest represented God before man and man before God especially when it came to the dealings with that man's sin. Now we can come before God without a mediator because of what Christ has done. Because of Christ, the relationship between God and man has literally become more intimate and literally it has changed from almost the appearance of being on the outside looking in to being on the inside. Being on the inside because he's building us up together. Hebrews 4 puts it this way. Seeing that we have a great high priest, that being Jesus, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. And then it says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What this is saying is he became the great high priest. He is the one that we go to now. We don't go down the street in our neighborhoods to, the, to, to a temple or to any other structure that's considered religious to find mediation between ourselves and God. Guess what? We go to him now because he is the great high priest and we can come boldly to him. Because of Christ, we are now a part of the holy priesthood. Now, to be a priest that offers sacrifice, sacrifices, it required one to be cleansed. Now, let me tell you a little story. The high priest would go into the Holy of Holies one time a year to, to offer up a, a sacrifice for the forgiveness of the nation. Now, think about this. As he would make his way into the Holy of Holies, he would have bells that would hang on the end of his robe. Not only that, there would be a rope tied to one of his ankles that many people believe. And so, as he made his way into the Holy of Holies, if he were not clean, a cleansed vessel before God, do you know what would happen to him? He would be struck dead. He'd had to be cleansed. So, of course, if you're standing on the outside, on the other side of that rope, and you hear them bells falling all over the place, and, and, and you, feel, you, you need to start tugging because you've got a dead high priest at your, in your hands. Y'all, God took cleansing very, very seriously. And therefore, now that we're high priests... <laughs> We can go before him. We're, we're not considered the high priest, but we're a royal priesthood. But now we can go before him. Here's what's interesting about all that. When God looks down now, guess what he sees? He sees a cleansed vessel, a, a vessel of perfection. Looking at us, 
All because we have now the righteousness of Christ. Do you, do you see that? That's a picture of his holiness that's been bestowed upon us. And, and now, does that mean we, that we don't sin? Does that mean we never come up short? Oh, yeah, I, I pulled some of that off this past week. But I'm here to tell you that the way God's, and this is the, one of the great privileges that we have before God is the fact that we are accepted before him. I gave my life to Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and as a result, I attempt to walk in him. I won't get it right all the time, but I'm telling you this. As he looks at me, he sees me as perfection because I've, I've received what Christ offered, and that is the forgiveness of sins. Now think about this, y'all. Look at the terminology in verse 5. Instead of animal sacrifices, the New Testament says that there are six acceptable sacrifices we as believers can offer to God. How many of you are glad that we don't have to go butcher animals before God? I'm so glad we don't have to do that. But what are some acceptable sacrifices? These are some that we find in Scripture. Our bodies, our good works, our love, our praise, our thanksgiving, our possessions, and even our prayers are all acceptable sacrifices before God. All that. Now think about that. I mean, that's amazing. Next, another privilege of being in Christ is that we are changed from being no longer shamed by sin. No longer shamed by sin. Look at verse 6. Therefore, it is also contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious. And he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. So what Peter does, he describes all these things in verses 4 and 5. He describes some of our privileges. And then he goes into verse 6 and he reaches back into the Old Testament to tell you it's been there all along. All this terminology has been there all along. Now the phrase chief cornerstone implies this new covenant that finds, itself, that finds its foundation on Jesus Christ. Now a cornerstone was a stone placed where a building would be constructed. You would literally find a stone, and it would be a stone that you could trust that would be placed there in which the whole structure would go up around that cornerstone, okay? Everything had to fit just right. And so it served as a plumb line for all vertical and horizontal lines that would be pivoted off of this stone to build the structure. The building symmetry depended upon this stone. And so therefore, for that building to be correct and to be perfected, the cornerstone had to be flawless and it had to be perfect for that structure to be what it is. Let me, let me tell you this. <clears throat> Do you think God takes heresy very serious when it comes to Scripture? Oh yeah, did you know 2 Peter, we're, we're not going to study that through this time, but did you know 2 Peter is all about false doctrine and, and coming against heresies that came against the church and God's word? That's the reason that letter was written, to approach all that. Did you know most of the epistles, I would say almost 90% of the epistles, there's at least one little part in there that warns against false doctrine and heresy? God takes that very seriously. And here's why he takes it very seriously. Everything was built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Okay, you get the picture? The apostles and the prophets came to build upon that. There were others who came later who built upon that and built upon that. Let's just say that all this is perfected, but as you grow in that structure and you get to the top, there's still foundation that's there. There's still a firm foundation. But as you make your way up, if you're not building with the flawless, perfected word of God, you're still going to have a mess up top. It's, it could be very misleading. 
And so that's why it's so important. Now, now as you look at verse 6, some translations translate the last part of verse 6 as he who believes in him will not be disappointed. Now, in the proper context, this means that those who follow Jesus will never know any dis- disappointment from him. Meaning that we are in right standing with God because Jesus took the shame and guilt of our sin. Now, this is just a little side note. Many scholars believe that when verse 6 refers to Zion, it is a reference to the new covenant. Sinai is a reference to the old covenant. That's where the, the, the law was given. Zion refers, seems to imply here in this, to the new covenant. So, Put these thoughts together and you realize that the new covenant between God and man comes by way of the flawless cornerstone, Jesus, who, while on the cross, listen, took our guilt and shame. So therefore, because of that, we can build upon this structure. We're living stones that are going to make up this structure. Another privilege of being in Christ's if, is that we are changed from being no longer ashamed by sin and secondly, no longer an offense to God. We're no longer an offense to God. Look at verses 7 and 8. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Now, here's the picture. Here's, here's the image, imagery. God picked out the stone. Now, that stone is very important, y'all. Everything about that structure depends about that one stone. Where the lines be straight, where everything comes, where the foundation holds, all that revolves around that one stone. And it says that many rejected that stone. Now, that was, of course, the Jewish establishment in the first century. They, they didn't want any part of that. But God did. That, that, that was the stone. That was, that was what was going to be there. And, and here's why they rejected it. Listen. They rejected this stone because it did not meet their expectations. We're studying or attempting to study the Gospels right now on Wednesday nights. And what we're attempting to do is put the Gospels in chronological order. Take the four Gospels and put them in chronological order. There's one thing that I have found out by studying for Wednesday nights that never really dawned on me. It's been there all along. And here was the, here, here's what it is. Jesus seemed to never meet the expectations of those he encountered. But yet they walked away joyful and praising God. Think about it. There were some who walked away who were offended. And there are those who walked away praising God and glorifying God. But if you look at the case, I mean, even his disciples, some people believe as many as four as his disciples were what you call zealots, who believed that a Messiah would come on the scene in the first century, and he would literally raise up troops. He'd raise up an army to overthrow the Roman government. Four of his disciples came with that expectation of what the Messiah would do. Did he meet those expectations? No. Didn't even seem to care about them. Uh, the, the, the people who came up to him, the, the religious establishment, they constantly came to him. He never met their expectations. They had all these expectations that were out there. So therefore, they rejected him. Now, look at verse 7. Therefore, to you who believe he is precious, but to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. 
They were given the trust to the word, the religious establishment of the first century, the Jewish nation, the people who were chosen by God. They were given his word. And yet, as a result of that, I mean, they had it right there in front of them, and they still missed it completely. And so when the Messiah came, the one they looked for for years, hundreds of years, thousands of years, did not meet what they thought the expectation would be. But yet they had it right there. And they became an offense to God. You know what it literally means in the context here? It literally means they were not a part of the structure that God was building. That's literally what it meant. And so God, if you read Romans very carefully, God went from being where God's chosen people were the Jews. He he went from there and he basically said, okay, I'm not working in this operation. I'm working over here by those who did receive the the, the chief cornerstone. And that was the church. He moved and you see that. So, so what are we re- really reading here? These verses imply that there are two groups in the world. Those who believe Jesus is of great worth and those who believe he is not of great worth. Those who accept him and those who reject him. Those who are an offense to him and those who are not an offense to him. Those who reject him as the chief cornerstone will be divinely judged and condemned for all of eternity. That's what God's word tells us. Next. Another privilege of being in Christ is that we are changed from being no longer ashamed by sin and no longer an offense to God to being selected by God. Here's that chosen uh, idea of our salvation again, selected by God. Look at verse 9. He says, but you are a chosen generation. You're a chosen people. Now, we are spiritual people chosen by God to be his children while impacting the world. This is not only a privilege, but something that should give us hope in no matter what we face. Let me carry you back. Who is Peter writing this letter to? To those who are being persecuted. To those who could lose their life for standing with Christ. They could lose their life by saying, he is the chief cornerstone. I will not reject him. I don't want to be an offense to him. I receive him as he truly is. Those were the ones who were being executed by those who rejected him. And that's the picture that you have here. So we're not only selected by God, but we're also acknowledged by God. When you go before royalty, you do not impose yourself. You must be acknowledged. How many of you ever seen pictures of that in movies and stuff? But but here's where we get this. Go back to verse 4. The whole idea of coming to him. One of the privileges of our salvation is that Jesus acknowledged us and now announces us before the Father. Look at verse 9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Y'all, he's talking about us. A chosen generation, okay? And we're a royal priesthood. Now, this implies two things. The title, this title carries two things. First of all, we as priests serve the king and we have access to him. Okay, we're a priest. We have access to him. Second of all, we as royalty rule with the king of his kingdom, with his, in his kingdom. So look at Revelation 20. Here's a picture of what, uh, what, it, what it means for us. Blessed and holy is he who is a part of the first resurrection, the first resurrection of the dead. Over such, the second death has no power. He's talking about believers in Christ. They'll die once, but they'll live again. Okay, that's the picture you have here. But they shall be priests of God 
and of Christ and shall what? Reign with him. Reign with him. Not only serving him, not only as a priest, but will reign with him. We are not only selected by God and acknowledged by God, but thirdly, we're also separated by God. Look at verse 9. It says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. It literally means, and we've looked at this terminology before, it means a set-apart people. In this context, it means those set apart from condemning judgment. Now, think about this. When it says we're set apart, <clears throat> the Bible does a wonderful job of telling us what we're set apart for. But when we're set apart, it's not just that we're set apart for something. It also means we've been set apart from something. And that's what we need to enjoy about what that really means. We've been set apart from the fact that we will not be condemned before God. That, that's what it literally means. We're set apart from a condemning judgment. Next, we are purchased by God. Verse 9, but if you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. Now, the NIV translated, translates this portion of Scripture this way. God's special possession. Implying that we have been purchased. If you came to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior... You were redeemed, which means you were purchased by him. The Bible says in Titus 2, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people who were zealous for good works. Another privilege of being in Christ is that we are capable capable, first of all, of praising God. We're capable of praising him. Do you know that if you get out in the world long enough, you'll find that there seems to be more people <clears throat> out there cursing him than praising him? Yeah, listen, you'll hear it in, their in, in what they're saying, in their lives, interactions. So look at verse 9. <clears throat> but you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him. We can praise God for all that he's done. Listen, think about who he's writing to, even in the middle of suffering, trials, persecution, and even when we don't understand what he's up to, we can still praise him. We, we have that ability because we know all the privileges that we have that are found in him. Another privilege of being in Christ is that we're capable of seeing God of seeing God. Now, let me just say this. <clears throat> of course, I'm not talking about seeing God face-to-face, -face, not in this life. I'm talking about seeing God work in our lives. How many of you have ever been some, through something that just, you know, is just more than you could handle, and it was just tough to go through, but you look back on it, and you see God's hand every step of the way in that situation. I, I can't tell you how many people I run into that, that see that, and, and they say it's just so clear to see how God worked. In that situation. And, and so what is he referring to? He says, look, look at verse 9 again, the, the last part. Who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. When, when <clears throat> we see him when we walk in his light. When we walk in his truth. You see, you're never going to see God work on your behalf or in your life if you're walking in darkness. You, you, you will never see it. You'll totally miss it. 
But if we walk in the truth of his word, listen, the Bible says in Colossians 1, for he has rescued us from the domain of darkness. He's rescued us from the hold of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the sun. Of course, the darkness of other religions. Let me just say this. I have visited countries before in which you could almost sense the darkness right when you got to that nation or that place. You could. I mean, you, it's just, it's just, you could just sense the darkness of, uh, of other religions and that don't offer the hope of Jesus. Uh, how about the darkness of sin and its control and bondage? How many of you have seen people living in that? How about the darkness of deception where people are just so deceived? I don't know that I've ever seen uh, a deception that seems to plague our nation more than it is now. And I'm sure it's been there for every generation. But boy, it's so prominent now. So prominent. We see, we now walk in the light of his truth, even in the darkest of days. Next, we are also capable of knowing God. Look at verse 10. Who once were not a people, but are now the people of God. Now, now let me give you some background to this verse. <clears throat> for 2,000 years up to this point, when God had something to say, guess who he told it to? He told it to the Jews. And Gentiles, if they ever wanted to hear from God, seemed to always had to hear from God from whom? From the Jews. Because he spoke through the Jews, his chosen people. And what this verse is saying now is that then <clears throat> there's the whole thing that changed. Everything changed. Do you know when it actually changed? On the day of Pentecost. You remember Peter preached this powerful message? 3,000 people came to know the Lord. There was all kinds of speculations as to what was going on. All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit was unleashed upon men, began to indwell men, those who came to know him. And guess what? Everything changed at that point. Everything. And now the Gentile. What's a Gentile? Anybody that's not a Jew is now we have the privilege to come before him. We have the privilege to know him. We have the privilege to hear from his heart, to, to lead us, to guide us. Everything changed, but now we can know him. Lastly, another privilege of being in Christ is that we're forgiven. We're forgiven. Look at verse 10. We, who were not, uh, we, uh, excuse me, who, were, who once were not a people, but are uh, the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. You see, God's mercy comes from his great compassion. Our greatest need was that we needed to be forgiven before the Lord. We needed to be forgiven because guess what? The Bible says before we came to know him, we were enemies of God. Some of you are sitting there saying, hey, how could I be an enemy of God? I was seven years old before I came to know him. How was I an enemy of God? I don't understand it all, but I'm telling you, the Bible says you are an enemy of God. You are walking contrary to the word of God. And then when you gave your life to him, you were reconciled. You, it's like you were brought into something. Literally, the Bible says you were adopted. You became a child of God. You became joint heirs with Jesus. You, all these privileges we've been talking about this, mor this morning were now bestowed upon you. All because you were in need of forgiveness and you reached out to his compassion and his mercy <clears throat> and you received his mercy. So here's something you need to think about this morning. So many times I hear people say this. I've done something that I don't believe God could forgive me for. And I hear it all the time, and they'll name. Sometimes they'll name it. They'll tell me exactly what they've done. 
And I'm here to tell them many times, do you not realize what's been offered to you? Do you realize that God had great compassion on you and you're sitting here and we're talking and I'm going to share God's word for you and the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his most prized possession on your behalf. He gave his son, someone who was, perf- who was perfect. This is my beloved son, whom I am well pleased. He put everything on his son, even his wrath, his own personal wrath, he bestowed upon his son. Listen, just for you. And it doesn't matter what you've done. You can find forgiveness in his mercy and his compassion. And these privileges that we talked about here today can be bestowed upon you. They can be given to you also. Just reaching out to him. So look at the application. Are these Christ-given privileges a reality in your life? Do you see these? I mean, is it evident that you see that you've come out from under the bondage of your shame and your guilt and, and now you can walk in the light of his truth. You're capable of, of knowing God. You're capable of seeing God work in your life. All these things are available to you. If not, would you like for them to be a reality in your life? Where do you see yourself? And I want to close with this thought. Think about that whole idea of living stones. Think about the whole idea that Jesus is not only the chief cornerstone, he's the bedrock of it all. And, and, and everything that's ever happened has come from his finished work. And the apostles, the prophets were there. They built upon it. The, the, the apostles and the, the prophets, all of them. And then we came and we became a part of it. We, we became one of this magnificent building. The old covenant, it kind of gave us a picture that we were on the outside looking in. But now, guess what? Because of the new covenant, what Christ has done, we're now a part of the structure itself. That's the reason over and over and over again, Paul uses this one phrase to describe who we are, that we are in Christ. We don't go to a temple. We are the temple of God because of the Holy Spirit and what he's doing in and through us. Everything changed. Think about all these privileges, but yet we still go through our life thinking that we're just kind of existing and getting through it and hope we can live through the schedule of today into tomorrow and Yeah, there is so much more that that is out there. Where do you see yourself this morning? Would you stand to your feet, please? Father, we just thank you so much for your word and the challenge that we received this morning. And Father, we thank you for the privileges. Uh, The privileges are, are ours if we know you. Lord, if there's someone here today that's never trusted you as our Lord and Savior, maybe they're sitting there today thinking that they've done something that is unforgivable. Lord, help them to realize that that mercy and compassion will be extended as long as they're living here in this world and breathing and the heart is beating. That, Lord, you still could be calling upon them to come to you. Father, I thank you for that invitation that you gave me when I was an eight-year-old to come to you. Your Holy Spirit began to work in my life and led me to you. And, and Father, now I'm a part of that, that living structure that you're building here in this world. Father, I believe that's a reference to the kingdom of God, the principles of living and being a part of that structure. Father, if there's someone here today that's not a part of that, I pray today will be the day they'll give the heart to you. 
Second of all, Father, maybe there's someone here <clears throat> who believes it's their church home, God, that you've called in to be a part of. Lord, help them to realize that, 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 that really each church is a mini structure of what we talked about here today. You've got the foundation of which you build and the, the, the chief cornerstone, the apostles came along, the prophets came along. There were many who came along before us, even uh, since 1949 here at this location. And, and now we're here and we can be a part of this structure that can be erected to be something that honors you and glorifies you. If there's someone here that's not part of a church family, Lord, if they're, if they're drawn here, help them to be obedient, to be a part of this body. We thank you for what you're going to do in and through this. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Would you sing with us this morning? Myself and